Hello everyone, my name is Arti and this is the Mahabharata. Episode 46, The Assault on Draupadi, also available online at www.themahabharatapodcast.com or for comments, facebook.com forward slash themahabharatapodcast. In our last episode, we left Draupadi in a most precarious situation, dragged by her hair into an assembly filled with lecherous men, dressed in no more than a single piece of cloth menstruating, exposed in a most vulnerable state to the insolent gaze of the Kauravas. It's a situation to evoke blind terror in the heart of a woman. Suffice it to say, not the house of Kuru's most shining moment. King Tritarashtra is outright gleeful, the great Guru Drona avoids eye contact, Kripacharya shuffles his feet, and Bhishma's response to her questions is more or less beats me. But Draupadi's persistent. Even terrorized and humiliated, she's feisty and insists upon questioning the legitimacy of her enslavement. The FBI agent assigned the case is fascinated. Normally, he wouldn't concern himself with a mere sexual assault, but given the numbers involved, the high profile of the perpetrators, the public nature of the crime, and the improbable streak of gambling victories preceding it, the case called for big guns, and that is he. The nameplate on the door reads A. Hiltabeitel, and he's cracked a case or two. He starts with the indisputable facts, immediately charging Dushasana with sexual assault and battery. But he's also weighing additional charges for the entire assembly, including the king, conspiracy, fraud, illegal gambling activities, accessory to sexual crimes, aiding and abetting. Through scores of interviews with material witnesses, he's assembled a meticulous case, and now, reviewing the data, he's intrigued with the figure of Draupadi. There's more there than meets the eye, he's sure of it, and he decides to delve deeper into the enigma that is the polyandrist queen of the Pandavas. She was a surprise even the day she was born. Her father, Drupad, had wanted a son to exact revenge upon his childhood friend, Drona. Asterisk, witness to the gang assault, Hiltabeitel notes in the margin. No ordinary son would do. Drupad needed a figure of superhero capabilities to accomplish the near impossible. So Drishtadyumna was born of fire, fully armed and spectacular. But just as he rode off on his golden chariot, Another figure had emerged, unbidden, unexpected, Draupadi. The heavenly PA system had run out of adjectives describing her flawless form. Like Priyanka, Deepika, Ashwarya all combined together in an intoxicating collage. It had summarized Craggilly. She's here to accomplish the purpose of the gods. Born for the destruction of the Kshatriyas, she's going to lead them to their doom. Mind-blowing, right? 
Our agents had lunch with his colleague, Jay Fitzgerald, who's also working the case. It's a hot day, and they're enjoying a delicious cold beer on the patio of the Hemingway. Outwardly, she's just a woman. But in reality, she's like an MI6 agent working deep undercover on a mission for the gods. The signs are all right there, staring you in the face. For starters, her name is Krishna. That can't be a coincidence. Second, there's her birth from the fire, not the usual portal of entry into the world. Third, there's the prophecy confirming her mission. And then there are all the stories, right? The five Indras, the girl with five husbands. The Pandavas have heard these stories, even if they weren't paying attention, but the Kauravas have no clue who they're messing with. Now, I know what you're thinking. That's not really fair, is it? To say Draupadi's a goddess, doesn't that deny her human vulnerability? Isn't that a way of saying she's not actually experiencing this pretty sick situation? That she's above the trauma of a violent and horrifyingly public sexual assault? You have a point. To read Draupadi purely as a goddess does run the risk of denying her human frailty and of minimizing an experience we can all agree would be crushing for a woman. Imagine if you're a man in a similar situation. You're dragged in your underwear into a room full of hateful strangers and abused and molested in front of them. Devastating, right? Now imagine a woman yanked in by her hair in her period with nothing more than a single piece of cloth separating her from a hundred plus salivating men. It would leave you haunted and traumatized for life. But the paradoxes created by being simultaneously human and divine are a conversation for another day. Right now, we're wanted in the assembly hall. Tropathy is standing, tearful but stubborn, insisting upon an answer to her question. Watching her man handled by Dushasana, that perverse contaminant of the gene pool, Pima explodes at his brother. There are lots of whores in the country of gamblers, Yudhishthira, but they never throw for them. They have pity for women even of that stripe. All the wealth in the world they didn't care about, the treasury, the armory, the kingdom itself, you wagered us like cattle and I didn't complain. But you went too far when you staked Draupadi. She didn't deserve this. She's our wife. She came to us a trusting young girl. She deserves our protection. And now, because of you, she's abused by this vomitous sludge of a human being. I'm going to burn off your arms. Sahadeva, bring me the fire. I'm going to put an end to this situation right now. He makes to rise, but Arjuna grabs him. Stop. This is what they want us to do. They want to split us up, turn us against each other. Yudhishthira had no choice. He played because he was challenged according to the rules. We've got the high ground here. Bhima glares at him. If I thought he'd done it for desire, I swear I'd have burned off his arms. Angry, disgusted, Bhima sits back down in rage. Seeing the grief of the Pandavas and the torment of Draupadi, Duryodhana's spunky young brother Vikarna steps up. He's always been a good lad, not envious of his cousins, and he now feels compelled to speak up. 
My lords, he demands, answer Draupadi's question. We've got elite brain power in this room. Granddad's here, dad, our gurus, priests, Uncle Vidura. Surely we can resolve one riddle. Let's set aside our partisan biases and speak with integrity. Oh, for Pete's sake, snaps Duryodhana and rises to catch him. But Vikarna is a national gymnastics champ and dodges easily. We can't just stand here like statues, he continues. Somebody must be smart enough to figure this out. When another of his brothers tries to nab him, Vikarna jumps nimbly onto the royal podium. Here's what I think, he calls from over Drona's shoulder, using the guru for cover. Kant says, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Some version of that. So what we're doing here to our sister-in-law is only okay if we want them doing the same to us. Ditto what we did to our cousin Yudhishthira. That's not okay either. Dushasana is now heading purposefully toward him. So Vikarna hops onto the next podium. It's in our sacred books, people. Kings have four vices. Hunting, drinking, gambling, fornicating. A man under the influence of addiction makes bad choices. Our laws recognize this, which is why this match will never hold up in court. Cousin Yudi was under the influence of addiction, and Uncle Shark and others took shameless advantage of it. A chase begins up and down the escalator. Vikarna races up to the mezzanine. An innocent woman was abused and dragged into our hall, he yells from the top balcony. It's disgraceful, and I say this whole game is void. Seeing a whole posse of his brothers headed toward him, he locks himself up in the AV booth and flips on the PA system. This game was illegitimate to begin with, his voice booms out now to the whole palace. Yudhishthira had no right even to stake Draupadi. First, he'd already lost himself. More importantly, Princess Draupadi is not only his wife, she's the common wife of all of them. Even if he consented, the others did not. The cameras follow as the Kauravas try to break down the AV booth door. When it opens, Vikarna dodges around the equipment. She wasn't one, I tell you. The game was illegitimate. Let her go. He's still yelling as they carry him out and muzzle him. Fearing Vikarna's disruption might have changed a few minds, Duryodhana's most ardent supporter, Karna, enters the fray. He strides furiously into the center and lectures Vikarna, now wiggling under the weight of his brothers sitting on him. You're a foolish, bleeding-heart liberal child, Vikarna. What do you know of the way of the world? Ignore him, folks. He's a careless cigarette that burns the house down from the inside. All these learned gents here are silent because they know Draupadi's one. How could she not be? A. She's Yudhishthira's property. B. She was mentioned by name when he staked her. C. None of his brothers stopped him from staking her. And D. Imp silence implies consent, right? Or if your objection is that she shouldn't have been dragged into the hall half naked, then answer me this. The gods have mandated that men can have as many wives as they want. After all, men have needs, but women must never have more than one husband. Everyone knows this. It's the natural law of the universe, like gravity or relativity or perpetual transmutation of energy. 
Yet Princess Draupadi here has five husbands. She sleeps with five different men, you guys. What do we call women who do that? She's a whore. And there's nothing inappropriate about dragging a whore into an assembly of men. That's her function to service men. So nothing strange about having her half-dressed or even undressed. In fact, I say we strip her naked. He turns to the ever-enterprising, eager to please Dushasana. Don't listen to this babbling infant. Strip them all of their clothes, the Pandavas and their precious wife, who's now a slave of the Kauravas. A gasp goes through the room and cameras flip from Yudhishthira to Draupadi to the king. But Dhritarashtra remains silent. The Pandavas voluntarily remove their upper garments. Dushasana, meanwhile, heads toward Draupadi with relish. As she makes to flee, he grabs her and starts to tear her tall. She shrieks and kicks, but he tugs at it with all his might, determined to rip it off. Then the strangest thing happens. As he rips off a towel, another one takes its place. And when he rips that off, another one takes its place. And another, and another. The towel just keeps going like an infinite roll. He heaves and pulls, but with every inch in his hand, Another appears on Draupadi's body. He cannot strip her naked. A slow roar begins in the assembly hall. A mighty confusion ensues. As the cameras roll and the luxury Egyptian linen grows like a mountain above his head, Dushasana starts to crumble. What's happening, cries Dhritarashtra, as the room grows eerily silent. What's going on? Is she there? Did he get all their clothes? but nobody wants to answer him. The assembly hall is filled with fear. As the Shasana collapses, perplexed and mystified, Bhima stands up. With every step, the hall trembles until he looms over the Shasana. This is my promise to you, the Shasana, you sniveling, misbegotten, swinish fiend. May I forfeit heaven if I don't do what I say. May I never see my ancestors. There's going to be a war. And on that battlefield, I'm going to rip your heart open, you outcast of this family. I'm going to tear your heart out and drink your blood. So help me God. Hearing Pima's dreadful words, lightning cracks in the sky. Vidura spies an opportunity and steps in quickly. The ladies asked a question, you lot, and you're beholden to answer. The person who comes to you with a grievance is like a blazing fire. Either you judge rightly or she burns the house down. Little Vikarna here has done his duty, brave lad. Now it's time for you to do yours. Failing to judge is as bad as judging badly. Being Vidura, he launches into a story. There were once two young boys fighting over a girl. One said she wants me, the other said the same. Finally, they go to boy one's dad, asking him to pronounce who's the more worthy. The dad was righteous, committed to speaking the truth. Setting aside his partiality for his son, he pronounces truthfully for boy two. 
That's how it's supposed to be, people. The impartial truth spoken with courage and integrity. Draupadi deserves an answer. All hell breaks loose in the assembly. Karuna intervenes again. Rubbish. Spare us your pious homilies, will you? Dushasana, take the slave away. Already spooked by the earlier events, Dushasana is now nervous. But all eyes are upon him and his manhood's at stake. So he tries weakly to grab Draupadi. No, wait, cries Draupadi. She flips into Bollywood mode. I haven't even had a chance to greet my elders. How stupid of me. How could I be so remiss? She addresses the men on the royal podium. Grandfather, father, recognize me. I'm your daughter-in-law. Daughter of King Drupad of Panchal, sister of Prince Drishtadyumna, wife of the sons of Pandu, friend of Krishna. This loathsome beast has abused and molested me in your presence, and you remain silent. Please, tell me, is the wife of King Dharma, whose birth is equal to his, a slave, or is she free? If the Kurus will countenance assault on their daughters, I shall abide by their answer. But Bhishma has no answer. Looks like the Kurus are flirting with the apocalypse if it's come to this, he mutters. Look, Throner, Kripa and I can't sort this out. We have to ask Yudhishthira. He's the smartest man in the room by a quantum. Whatever he says must be dharma. Duryodhana had been a bit anxious, but now he's thrilled to hear this. Yes, let's ask Yudhishthira. In fact, let's ask all the Pandavas. I want to hear Bhima and Arjuna say Yudhishthira is a liar. Let's hear Nakula and Sahdeva say he has no authority over them. Bhima leans over to Yudhishthira. Permit me, brother. This entire evil band, I'm going to squash them flat like a pancake. I'm going to grind them into dust, roll them into a tortilla, and feed them to the dogs. Release me, and I will exterminate the men who dared violate a single hair on the head of Draupadi. In our next episode, the drama will continue. While Yudhishthira remains silent, the fate of Draupadi will be debated by the Kauravas in increasingly debauched tones. You'll have questions. Gandhari, was she or was she not there? You'll ask. What's the secret behind the never-ending role of super-plush double-turned terry cloth? Where's the meddling gallery of gods? And if Draupadi's a goddess, why didn't she just fry them all with one look? reasonable queries, and we'll try some answers. If you'll join me for another episode of the Mahabharata.